0: We're doing some some podcasts to uh, provide material during the month of December and the first Sunday of January because our the church schedule is such that we won't have a class. So we're providing this as a way of both filler and then also just to kind of keep interest up in uh, in the podcast. So I'm Pastor uh, James Audie and. With me today is uh, Pastor Matt Lee, and we're going to kind of tag team a little bit on a topic that we're working through our staff with. It's a little book by an author whose name is Lance Witt, W-I-T-T, and the name of the book is Replenish. And The focus of the book has been on caring for the soul, that a lot of times when people are Dealing with life and doing it from a leadership point of view, from, from being a part of a team or a group or a family, that we're not being very attentive to our soul. And so that's what this book is about, to replenish the soul. So uh, what we thought we would do is just kind of work through some of the uh, material that we've been doing in staff together, uh, Matt and I together, and I think that this will be a good, good thing.
1: Session six, or chapter six, I should say here, is all about, it's called Ambition Ambush. Okay? And uh, it begins with the author saying, What makes selfish ambition so insidious or dangerous is that we can see it in others, but not in ourselves. This is due to denial or self-deception. Usually others see it long before we do. He even references this one French author, Fenelon, who said, We have an amazing ability to self-deceive. Your self-interest hides in a million clever disguises. And Thomas Kelly said, Oh, how slick and weasel-like is self-pride. But to combat this ambition, this selfish ambition, Witt says, To build some solitude in our lives. And the question that I asked yesterday and and today is, how do we do that? How do we build solitude purposefully in our lives today? Is it possible? What do you think? (laughs) What do you think, Pastor Adi? Oh, my gosh. And where do we do it?
0: Yeah, so so we probably ought to distinguish between solitude and being alone or being lonely. Okay. Um, there's a lot of people in the world today that experience loneliness and experience being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we could go back to sort of the post-COVID hangover that we all have, which is, is uh, uh, when you're mandated to avoid others. Or if you're going to be with others, you have to wear a mask or a shield you may as well have the whole hazmat suit on Mm -hmm. uh, kind of idea. And if you're going to be in the area with somebody, you have to be six feet apart. I mean, you're thinking about the ramifications of all those things which were um, uh, in some places mandated, in others it was more of a kind of this would be a good thing for you to do, Um, a caring thing for you to do, I suppose. Um, But that the emphasis was on disconnect for the purpose of safety. So safety became the driving value that was promoted as the reason why you should do this. What I always found interesting was, and, and I again I, I look at trends, is uh, is how much the word safe was used versus the word healthy. Hmm. And and again that speaks of The idea that the word safe will motivate people to do things they never would do in a million years, um, but they'll do it in the name of acquiring safety or feeling safe, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to the word health or healthy, which is actually a better word in my view. uh, People will not do uh, extraordinary things for the sake of health. A good example is... Um, what would it motivate you to go see a doctor as a guy? Hmm. It's not health. <laughs> because we all know that it's a healthy thing to go see a doctor. Yeah. Or in my world, uh, a, a counseling world, um, what would motivate a guy to finally say, I need to go talk to a shrink. I need to go talk to a counselor. It isn't for the sake of their health. So health The word health does not motivate people to do extraordinary things or to do things that they would never do, but the issue of safety would. And Mm -hmm. so that word safety became the thing. All right, to sort of fast forward to to what we're talking about here, um, is, is I do think that there is a difference between solitude and being alone. Uh, for uh, Matt and I are uh, sort of personality-wise, we're very similar in the sense that we have a little bit more of introversion than we do extroversion. Although I would say that that in the time that I've uh, seen Matt uh, get ordained and do more pastoral stuff, that he 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 is showing an extroverted side to himself as well, but. The you know the big joke is that during uh, during COVID, the introverts loved it because this was an opportunity for us to finally uh, get some peace <laughs> and quiet and sort of replenish ourselves by by uh, being by being alone. So that was a little bit of a, a, a fun joke that we had. The ones that really suffered were the extroverts. Yeah. Uh, but but the idea of solitude is that I'm not just going in my room. And playing video games. I'm not just uh, sitting by myself and then not having any sort of spiritual aspect to it. What solitude is, is that I'm reserving time with God in some form, either in prayer, in meditation, uh, in in some form of uh, devotional reading, that kind of thing. That's what he's talking about in terms of solitude. Yeah, uh, and so the importance and the significance of it is, is that it is, um, it's like a daily Sabbath, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's it's putting aside the cares and concerns and the needs and the activities of the day, and saying I'm going to spend the first part of that, ten minutes or whatever it is, um, and I'm going to be devoting my soul to. Um, to reconnecting with uh, with God, mm-hmm. I think the challenge for that today for a lot of us is that um, it, well, I can speak. I guess maybe just for myself is um, how easy it has become to be addicted to my phone. Mm-hmm. As an example, uh, the phone is a wonderful connector and can totally waste. Your whole day being involved with the phone, and then you can justify it by saying, "Well, I'm doing my business on my phone, or I'm, you know, mm-hmm. staying in touch with people on my phone, or I'm planning my schedule on the phone." And the hardest thing for a lot of people nowadays is to disconnect from their phone during solitude. Mm-hmm. Would the I don't know. would is this? No, is this I, I agree. At all? I, yeah.
1: I had a routine doctor's visit yesterday and as soon as i walked in this receptionist had her phone out and she had tiktok going and oh. i recognized it yeah. and i just said oh you, you're you like tiktok and she said it's so hard for me to get away from it yeah i mean she was literally she had it on playing mm-hmm. and i just said hey i'm here for my appointment and she said oh hang on a second i gotta let me finish this video hang on a second and then she <laughs> <laughs> handed me my paperwork. but the point is yeah. you're right the, to disconnect from it, it, it's it's difficult. And that's why I think um, there's been studies showing that the technology that we're presented with, phones, tablets, PCs, everything, mm-hmm. it's actually reprogrammed kids' brains. Yeah. So in, in such a way that this is the reason why when I do children's messages on Sunday mornings, my message, if it's more than two minutes, I've lost every single one of them. Mm-hmm. So if I can capture their attention in two minutes. I'm going to try to do it the best I can by using technology because their brain is already programmed to that technology. Yeah. So on Wednesdays and Thursdays when I do chapel, we show videos. And what's interesting is when I'm talking, they're talking. When I the video goes, all of a sudden they cease talking and they just stare. <laughs> <laughs> they stare for about three minutes of the video and I, I think you can vouch for me on that Danny, that this is how they think, but you're right, to disconnect from that, to have actual solitude mm-hmm. is difficult we're, we're, we're surrounded with a ton of noise yeah. a ton of noise the,
0: uh, the people that study the brain uh, say that the people that, that design phones nowadays mm-hmm. uh, they've studied the, how the brain works, and so the stimulant value of of the phone itself, and even what's on the phone. TikTok is a great example that they designed TikTok uh, to uh, actually please the brain. Mm-hmm. So the brain the brain lives on dopamine, which is uh, the the pleasure hormone or neurotransmitter mm-hmm. inside of us. And so every time you hit that hit that button that has dopamine in it, it just Oh you just feel this sense of well-being inside it's a it's a it's a same basis as cocaine and,
1: and, and there's an algorithm to it too yes absolutely it's, when you when you watch a video for a period of time mm-hmm. tiktok says oh They've watched this entire video. Yeah. Therefore, the next one they swipe to will be very similar to this thing they that's, like. That's right. So you're basically being rewarded rewarded that's right.
0: continually. That's right. It's so very pleasing. The addiction is to TikTok, not to what's on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Which I, I found that so fascinating. Yeah. I had some friends of mine who are uh, pastors who, uh, oh, I think this was probably five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. They got together and they said, we, we're going to go on a... Uh, a float trip down the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon, um, and so uh, it, it's a five-day trip. Mm-hmm. Every one of them took their phones with them, <laughs> and when they got down to the bottom of the canyon, they realized there was no there was no coverage down there. There was no phone, mm-hmm. and they were talking about their experience. And they said, "I said I was asking like, what is the best part of the trip, and what was the hardest part?" And they said, "The hardest part was." that they couldn't use their phones <laughs> down at the bottom of the river. And they were glad that they did a five-day trip because it took two days to decompress uh, the, the withdrawal that they experienced from not being in touch. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it was partly addicted to the phone, obviously, but it's also what the phone itself does. Is you stay in touch with your loved ones, you stay in touch with your office, you stay in touch with videos. I mean, what, it's whatever comfort, it you're doing, it's everything. Yeah, it's everything, and it's kind of become this sort of uh, uh, security blanket mm-hmm. that a lot of us now, I would say myself included, uh, really, really wrestle with. And so, when you take that stimulant uh, source away. There is a withdrawal that your mind goes through and your brain goes through. And I think the issue of solitude is that it's not a one-shot deal. It really, truly is a discipline that you create and then you sustain by daily daily use. Mm -hmm. So an example of that, um, some of us in our group yesterday in staff talked about when they had their devotional time. So... Um, it it really is dependent on your where you are in your life. So when our daughter was little, there was no devotional life going on in the mornings, yeah. you know, because you're getting them up and getting ready for school, and, and the whole fight over that, and how are we going to get out the door and on time. It's and a all fun that. battle. And so you know, then <laughs> devotional time or Sabbath time comes at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, now Victoria and I, we're empty nesters. Our daughter's out on her own. We don't have to deal with that. And so now we can have uh, our coffee mm-hmm. and our devotion and our conversation and getting ready for the day at the beginning of the day. I like so, that. So, you know, where where I am and where you are, Matt, <laughs> and where you are, Danny, like, oh, yeah. I've been there. But, uh, you know, you gotta you got to find that for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the best is to not think of it as a something that you can do at work. Yeah. Um, is that Sabbath is probably going to be away some other, some other time.
1: I agree with you on that. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, one of the things that I've done. I used to do devotions right before bed. I thought, oh, this is going to be great. You know, they're winding down. They're they're going to be in a great mindset to really learn about God's word right so we'd sit down and it would just keep failing and failing and I kept thinking why is it failing you know but we would do it in our bedroom and uh, a couple of my kids would they would basically lie down on the bed and then they would start to fall asleep and I kept thinking well maybe they just love the sound of my voice or I don't know what it is so now what I do is we pray before we eat dinner together at the dinner table, and then I say, okay, while you eat, we're going to do a devotion right now. And I do it that way because I know I've got them. They're eating, they're doing something, and they're listening, and it works. So you have to find, like Pastor Adi was saying, you have to find what works, but you also have to find your own time. Mm -hmm. And it may not be at work. Mm -hmm. I can probably guarantee you it won't be at work Um, but finding that moment of solitude in order to combat this selfish ambition that we were talking about in order to keep ourselves humble and i like what uh they define humility as the displacement of self by the enthronement of god where god is all self is nothing and Jesus really spoke up about this a lot when he used the word not or nothing when he talked about himself, which is kind of interesting. He, and Johnny says, in myself, I can do nothing, or I do not please myself, or I do not accept praise from men, or I do not accept praise from men. I came down from heaven not to do my will. Or I do nothing on my own, or I am not seeking glory for myself. Jesus was aware, even as the Son of God, that he was not pursuing his own agenda, but fulfilling his Father's plan. And that's humility, right there.
0: In Philippians, he talks about the idea that Jesus made himself nothing and Mm -hmm. took the very nature of a servant and humbled himself even to go to the cross. Yeah. So that really is... Really is that ambition itself is not a bad thing. I think it's it's a good thing. In fact, yeah, yeah. But when the, when it's a selfish ambition, then what happens is the focus of it becomes all about um, uh, glorifying myself or building myself up, which we all can do a little bit. Like if you congratulate yourself on on some achievement that you have uh, have accomplished or some uh, measure of status that you've acquired. It's okay to do that. It's not. Yeah. It's not prideful to do that. But if that's the only thing that's driving you to do what you do, then ultimately it fails because there's always going to be somebody that comes along and does it better. There's always going to be moments when you don't quite live up to that standard or that the achievement or the performance that you think you should have uh, acquired or deserved, you, you're you not able to get. Um, and so then what, what what do you do with that? How do, how do you deal with failure? How do you deal with falling short in some way? And so that's really where humility comes in, is yeah. that it's not all about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I have found is is that when it's all about God, what happens is is that you're able to enjoy your successes better,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you're able to stomach your failures easier. Hmm. That's so ironic that you know you would think that if if your life was all about God, well, you wouldn't care about your failures, and you wouldn't care about your successes. Oh, that's not true. We do care about our successes and failures, but we're able to keep them in perspective. Because when it's all about God, then um, that tempers that um, feeling that my success is all about me and my failure is all about somebody else, right? Yeah. And so that's a great, just a good